0: I'm sorry. You can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you stop. like. What a stop, Judge for Bench.
1: Ah! Jordan Henderson. Yeah! Henry. Jordan Henderson.
0: I mean that sort of stuff. We're it, it's been we're better we're bigger than that. That interview was just like the performance. Flat. No. what, I mean, what do you want him to
1: do? Just fall at Gabriel's feet crying? I mean, well, say something. We, we were doing what we'd done for 20 years, relaxing a nervous studio guest in the same way that you
0: would in, in these conditions, um, and thought no more of
1: it.
0: Never really thought I'd be thankful for uh, Richard Keyes, I have to say, but thank you, Richard. You've just saved me from a discussion between Nathan Murphy and Dave Murphy. <laughs> Dave Murphy. <on laughs> Dave uh, McIntyre on fatherhood.
1: Yes. Yeah, you could
2: learn a thing or two.
0: Well, he's neat. Well, I don't have kids, (laughs) so uh, I'm I'm
2: good. Just take notes for the future
1: (laughs) and learn when the time comes. Welcome along to the. Learn on the job.
0: Friday Football Podcast uh, Slight tweak in format Which Which we'll you promised last week Yeah I promised it for the last two weeks They've it's had a week
1: to get ready them Ready themselves for it
0: We're going to give it a dry run here And see if it goes If it's shit Then we'll just bin it forget easy. it ever uh, happened yeah.
1: Never mention
2: it again It's the plan
0: of attack So ultimately I will kind of decide At some sort of an arbitrary point In the discussion That right, we've had enough <laughs> of Talking about this And you'll hear somebody interrupt us Various people Jack Charlton Roy Keane uh, Gary Lineker is in there Bill Harley features What if quite we strongly. want you
2: to stop talking
0: I'm afraid, Nathan, that's uh, that's going to be an impossibility, buddy. Yeah. you got to buckle down uh, for the next little while. So everybody's in good form? Yeah, flying. Yeah. Dave's just back from another uh, jolly out down the country.
2: <laughs> money, money, money. Yeah. <laughs> Do <laughs> bring us back in sweets?
1: I have an extra mouth to feed. Well, well I wasn't in Magaluf. <laughs> I was in Port Leash. Yeah, I thought it was uh, for, <laughs> for a confectionery company, though. I'm <laughs> not <laughs> giving them any more free promotion. <laughs> no, You've been being Bill O'Hurley for the I'll day. i come back with one arm as long as the other, as they say you go crack with, with John and Emo? Yeah, they were in great form this morning. Yeah? Yeah, very good form. Giving they it the were, big um, one? They were relaxed and casual, as they always are. And they told a couple of stories I hadn't heard before, which is always good. Want to share them with us? Just, they gave us some background to their falling out, which Eamon would say that Bill O'Hurley he rather embellished over the years. Uh. But there wasn't quite <laughs> as severe as Bill would lead us to believe it was. But it was all surrounding a book that Eamon had written about Sir Matt Busby which in many circles, as Eamon described, had been described as one of the great sports books of our time. Um, he was being very modest when he delivered that as analysis. But John's review of the book in the Evening Herald, I think it was at the time, was, wasn't was cutting, but it said something like, I didn't learn anything I didn't know already. And Eamon did not take to this very kindly. Yeah. And this was the source of their their much publicised falling out. But John said that he didn't really know exactly what was being written at the time because he was having his articles ghosted for him by somebody else at the uh, time. Ah, that old
0: chestnut. But you know. even at
2: that, it's, it, that's not an insult coming from John Giles. If it was John Giles who wrote it, because John Giles would know a lot about Matt Busby. And
0: it's kind of fair enough. You you shouldn't. He wasn't just writing just because, the
2: book for John Giles. He well, was well, writing for exactly, people who wanted a little bit of insight. That is exactly
0: yeah. the point
1: that Dunphy made this morning. That, um, you know, well, I wasn't writing for you, John. I mean, you're an insider, you grew up with the Busby Babes and you were at Old Trafford when he was the manager, etc. So you obviously would have seen far more than any mere mortal would have. I was writing it for those who didn't have all of the inside track. But anyway, there you go. I just hadn't heard the the story told and described like Mm. I did this morning.
0: And also if John Giles wanted to criticise, which obviously, as he says, (laughs) he didn't actually write the piece, Mm. but if he did want to criticise him, you could feel free enough to do that, I would have thought, without uh, fear or favour.
1: Yeah, maybe more so now. Back in the time, yeah. maybe things were just a little... They were just budding buddies at the time.
0: We're going to get to all the weekend's football in uh, just a minute. Uh, everybody fell on their trebles, by the way, uh, <laughs> last week. Everyone fell on Southampton. That was the one that led us down. They drew 0-0 with uh, West Brom. I'd, I was celebrating. I was watching the Arsenal-Everton game and celebrating as Arsenal scored a second because I'd called it a draw uh, before I looked back and discovered that already my uh, treble was null and void.
2: Oh, well. There's always this week...
0: Yes, there is. We'll get to that uh, towards the end of the podcast, Dave. In case you have a major treble selection, get to it over the next while. I've just done it. <laughs> in the last, in Good the last man. a lot of
1: a lot of thought went into In the this. last nine seconds, Good I man. picked out my guaranteed
0: banker. Uh, Mark Noble wants to declare for Ireland. Uh, Shea Given. It looks as if he's on his way back. Uh, Mark Noble. Maybe to begin with, is just developing today. Twenty-seven-year-old hasn't been named in England's latest squad or any other squad for that matter. Former England under-21 captain. He has two grandparents, both from Cork, and. Uh, on the face of it. Are we all in agreement that here's a guy who can offer something to the Irish midfield? Here's a guy who two
2: days ago thought he was going to be in the England squad for their upcoming games and is just pissed off because Jack Colbeck got selected ahead of him. I don't. This has been going around for years about Mark Noble. Mm. I, I think he would be a useful addition to the squad. A player who's played probably two, three hundred Premier League games at this stage uh, would fit in nicely in the midfield. Would get a few games here and there. But his public utterances Mm. haven't been good and I don't think the Irish public would take to him at this stage.
0: August the 14th. It is a goal and a dream of mine to play for England and I'll never give up on that. Players these days often don't peak until they're 30 and I have plenty left in the tank. Should we hold that against him Dave?
1: I don't think we should actually hold any of it against him but I do believe that if or when he's called into the Ireland squad that he will need to show a lot of patience he will need to show the Irish fans that he's really uh, keen and in certain that he wants to be with the Irish squad and I wouldn't be starting him in, for, in games for quite a while I'd be including him in match day 23s or 23 man squads for visual 36 man squads exactly cut and him I'd, and see if he's still and happy and I'd see if he wants to be there and then if he proves in training and he proves in his interviews and his public utterances, as Nathan put it over a period of time maybe comes off the bench a couple of times and there's no question he is, would be one of our best midfielders.
0: Yeah, so I'd that's be, what you have to hold on. I'd to. I'd be all for it. And, and, and ultimately, that's isn't that all that matters? Well, I mean, isn't want, that same you point want about the best Shea? Play Given? Available players playing. Isn't that ultimately the same point about Shea Given? And isn't ultimately that all that really matters? Uh, well, know I, <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't say
1: Shea Given brings a huge amount to the Ireland squad.
0: No, no. Shea Given is 38. He? He's played what one
2: game for Aston Villa in two. Two played, seasons, played pretty and well his,
1: and his last game for the rest
2: They of the pretty season. well were
1: they not beaten they were beaten by were beaten, in the league By court.
0: all accounts I didn't see the game but by all, all accounts it would have been more than one
1: is bordering on a farce he should not be next nor near the squad if he isn't a squad he should purely be there as the third goalkeeper to provide his untold experience and expertise to the two goalkeepers ahead of him if he's playing regularly week in week out and he knocks on Martin O'Neill's door picks up the phone and says look I think I've proven that I'm in form I'm back playing football I want to return to the international fold great mm. when you played once in 18 months and you will not play again Mm. at club level for possibly eight months nine months until next season's Season beginning, so maybe yeah. July, August. You do not deserve a place in the international squad, and the fact that he's been picked, it it really surprised me that Martin yeah. O'Neill and Roy Keane would involve themselves in this, well,
0: and I feel a little let down by it. Well, that's quite clearly a factor. The fact that he won't play football. I think if he was, it'd be a much more. Uh, I think we could we could. I think it'd be much more uh, a discussion about actually including him in the thing. Um, like the other side of it is that David Ford is not a young guy, so you don't necessarily need to be worried about like pissing off whoever's in the squad already because well ultimately if Shea Given comes back presumably for well if he's going back presumably it's for the next two years by which point you're probably looking for somebody else by which David point he's anyway. 40.
1: 40 where he's heading for 40 mm. and not playing football
0: that's kind of the key <laughs> <to all this laughs> there's thing,
1: none it? of there, uh, I haven't heard a cogent argument for his inclusion yet no, and I've no listened sense. to a lot of people talk about it and that's why I would think that Martin O'Neill's decision or Roy Keane's decision to bring him in if it does come to pass and he plays in Tbilisi on Sunday week it's an absolute joke and the pressure that will be on him if he The makes timing a mistake, is bizarre We're about to be cu- cut off If he makes a mistake the cost of the game at Sunday this will haunt Martin O'Neill for years
2: It makes absolutely no sense They've had 10 months in the job and now we're a week here. before our first match oh, We're not a week We are You go for Shay Given Do we me
0: a favour Talked over Bill Hurley there <laughs> telling you to shut up I'll need to uh, up the volume of that I think um, I like it, but that's the well end played. of our first little segment on the Republic of Ireland uh, current situation. There, we we'll get to our um, the games that we're doing shortly. We've a couple of games on Sunday. Uh, Tottenham against Liverpool which Nathan will be at alongside Kenny Cunningham uh, from White Hart Lane at half past one and then over to the King Power Stadium one of this Filbert Street stuff that we were talking about a few weeks back uh, on the Saturday programme (laughs) because it doesn't exist anymore Uh, We don't go to Roker (laughs) Park because we couldn't see too much there and Keith Andrews will be there alongside Mark Scott on that one so uh, let's kick off with uh, Saturday's lunchtime game quarter to one Burnley up against Manchester United and the thing that I've been thinking about over the last while is so the there's been a huge amount of discussions. Every time you listen to a discussion about Manchester United of Late, it's all to do with the lack of quality players in certain positions. And so it just got me thinking about like the fact that it doesn't really matter if it's Alex Ferguson that's there, or if it's David Moyes, or if it's Lou Van Hal, that there's got to be somebody further up the food chain identifying that we are a little bit short on in a couple of years' time we're going to be a little bit short in positions at left back, we're going to be a little bit short at centre back when Rio retires. Paul Scholes is going to leave, Gary Neville is going to leave. And so somebody that's identifying that these positions are upcoming. So either we look at the academy and we think, well, here's a guy that's going to come through. Obviously, we're not going to be sure that that's the case, but we're going to give him a chance. Or we need to identify players that we're going to buy. And all of that just does not seem to have happened.
2: Well, two years ago, Alex Ferguson was still in charge of Manchester United. And it would have been a brave man. Well, maybe David Gill was a brave man, who would have gone into Alex Ferguson and said, I've had a look down the line and you're not really bringing players through we're going to struggle in a couple of years time so i'm going to appoint a director of football above you who's just going to take a more long term vision for this club because let's be honest you're going to retire in a couple of years and you don't really care what happens when you leave
0: i kind of think that misses the point because ultimately it's not it's it's a question with alex ferguson to say where, where are the players we're going to need over the next little while where, how have we got them covered do you think, where, where do you think we need to fill so, so ultimately it might be Alex Ferguson that's driving that but somebody in the in the club is saying where are we going to be short and we're going to need to identify them because ultimately they've arrived at a point where they're what is it two days before the end of the transfer window and there's a load of positions that like Chelsea talk about the thing of having like Jose Mourinho last year the ideal the, the, the best example I could think of was Ashley Cole and Azpilicueta and he talked about well I've got two number ones in many positions, United don't even have one number one.
2: Yeah, two things on that. Firstly, Alex Ferguson, when he was leaving, would have expected a lot of the players to have progressed further in their career than they have. So the likes of Raphael, Phil Jones, Chris Smalling, if you go in two years ago and say, Village and Ferdinand are into their 30s, mm. we need to line up replacements. These guys will be ready. Phil Jones and Chris Smalling, they're going to be England centre-back partnership by then. These are going to be the two outstanding young centre-backs in Europe. It hasn't happened. Also, they have a lot of injuries at the moment. They've nine players out injured. They've Rocco not available. So we're not seeing Raphael there, who, again, Ferguson probably would have thought two years ago could go on and would, would have emerged as one of the best young right-backs in mm. Europe. So the players haven't developed for whatever reason. And that, I think, is the bigger question at the moment. Are these guys too pampered? It, like Brendan Rodgers was saying a couple of years ago with young English players getting too much money, too young why is it that none of these players have developed on their potential at manchester united be it the young guys they brought in or the players who've come through the academy there's something very very wrong at manchester united at the moment
1: a lot of that i think has to do with the fact that ferguson knew he was leaving and so you've got one element of it is that maybe the heart that he would have shown for so long isn't quite there in terms of developing players, but you can't argue with the fact there have been so many players apart from the academy stars that came through from '92 etc. that have been brought to Manchester United and have been transformed into world-class players. The most standout version being Cristiano Ronaldo, and then sold. He was, but then sold for massive money. But if you look at Antonio Valencia, who was an excellent player in your right at Manchester United. He was twice the player 18 months after arriving for Wigan that he was when he signed. So there's that, I think. The other part of it is that Ferguson was looking at the squad and sure, look, he's not a stupid man. He's a, a managerial mastermind. He would have known that there was a huge amount of surgery required on the squad, but he'd want to be spending David Moyes' money for him. There was a part element of that as well. So the United needed to strike the balance between keeping the squad competitive and allowing David Moyes to spend his own money and put his stamp on the squad that he was going to inherit. They got the balance completely wrong. They were completely the Moyes side of things and left the checkbook blank for him and Woodward. So Gill left at the same time and it meant that there was no squad strengthening. They were no longer competitive and David Moyes arriving on the 1st of July. Let's not rake over these calls. But there just wasn't enough time for him to do what was needed to be done. He needed Ferguson to give him a little bit of a dig out. And when you put those two together, that has led them to the disastrous position they're in now.
0: We're actually all in agreement, I think, really. Well, it's just the that facts we're don't just, lie. I mean, there's yeah. no other real But take on I, it.
2: I still think there's something, there's a greater problem within the club at the moment. Watching them last Sunday at the Stadium of Light was not a Manchester United I ever thought I would see. Both in that... They've completely lost their fear factor Teams Do not care if Manchester United are coming Everyone
1: fancies a crack at them now Yeah
2: And in fact Sunderland should have pushed on more They could have won that game easily But also The players The nervousness of the players When they're on the ball Every time they got it Smalling before he came off injured Jones Blackett you can understand He's a young guy But Smalling was picking the ball up In the edge of his own area From De Gea And he was bringing it forward, bringing it forward, bringing it forward, looking for an option, looking for an option. The closer he got towards the halfway line, the more nervous you could see him becoming. Because he's thinking, I've nobody to pass the ball to, I'm going to lose it, and we're going to be caught out of position. Eventually what would happen, and this must have happened 10 times in the first 40 minutes, Rooney or Van Persie will come back to pretty much the halfway line, pick it up deep, and try and create something from there. And this just happened again and again and again.
0: So if Di Maria comes into that team, Mata maybe moves a little bit more centrally and he becomes that player, what's the what's the fix here amongst the I mean, two days to go. Maybe they add Daily Blind in the next while. But
2: well, this was something I kinda of wa- w I wanted to ask Louis Van Gaal afterwards, is that is and I don't think anyone knows, everyone seems to presume that this three five two formation now obviously slightly different than that, but is is what Van Gaal wants to stick with. But if over the next two days and with Di Maria, perhaps he is willing to change and go four four two, fit players into their best position. I think Di Maria improves Manchester the Manchester United team that played last Sunday. It doesn't matter if he plays centre midfield, if he plays yeah. at number ten, if he plays out in the left wing, he improves Manchester United considerably.
0: Mm. It's just that everybody's been looking at it and going, they need these players in these other positions. It's not that Di Maria is a bad boy, needless to say, but it's just that there are other more pressing gaps. Well, if they as you filled. said, the
1: two days, I do think there will be a bid put in for Daily Blind. And Apparently his agent said that they haven't made any contact. Now that was well, look, as yeah, of maybe two or three I mean, days ago. You, know. Who knows whether that's true or not. Mm. But if they were to sign a centre half and a defensive midfielder, for example, if they're to bring in Matt Hummels and Nigel de Jong over the next two days, that would transform them, I do believe. And then Van Gaal can say, well, I've got the players I need now. He needs to try and utilise the pace in the team because we've been talking for so long that when you watch them, there's no zip in the team, yeah. like the old Manchester United teams, there's no raw energy and pace, but there is pace in the team. It's just the way they're playing. Like you cannot say the Valencia and um, Young, Januzaj and Young, they that they do not provide pace. They clearly do, but it just doesn't seem to be manifesting itself in the way they play. The injury list has been crippling. If they were to win on Sunday or on Saturday tomorrow, lunchtime. That would just change everything, I do believe, and a couple of additional yeah. signings. And after
2: that, they've Queen's Park Rangers, Leicester, West Ham. The fixture yeah. list is still in their favour. Uh, it
0: is, but the only thing is that that if was they don't supposed win to be the tomorrow, case three weeks ago, yeah. when, you know, before they got knocked out of the League Cup by MK Dons.
2: It'll be interesting. De Jong is would, is a good name. He's he's getting on. He's not an, uh, the player he was when he was at Manchester City. But he's just
0: a stopper. Yeah, because he I heard
2: was. John Giles last night saying, Alonso would have been a perfect player for United. I still think that's not what they need they have good passers of the ball they just need somebody to kick the living shite out of the opposition do nothing else give it to the better players it's a stupid
0: question I think it's a stupid question yeah stupid question sorry about that lads does that mean we can't
1: even give our prediction on Burnley-Manchester United
0: well we've kind of really got out of the habit of giving predictions on the basis that I mean what the hell do we know (laughs) Um, why can, are we here? That, that's why, that's <laughs> why we're doing the treble, Dave. That's that's uh, the predictions have been uh, well replaced. Well, they're not in my
1: travel anyway.
0: Really? Um, I have included them, but we'll come to that in a bit. Uh, Manchester City against Stoke is maybe one of the more interesting games that uh, kicks off at three o'clock on Saturday. And again, in terms of squad numbers and faces, uh, Pellegrini has spoken in the last while about needing four strikers. Uh, you have to Dzeko and Aguero, and then Agüero obviously when he's back. Um, a lot of pretty impressive options, obviously. Jacko limped out at the last game. So it's probably going to be Aguero and Javatic. And I was trying to have a look at this over the last little while to see how these guys, uh, how we might expect them to get on together. Uh, together, They're pretty, two pretty quality uh, players. And in so much as I could identify, um, well, Javatic definitely hasn't scored a goal when Aguero's been on the pitch. And Nathan did a little bit of scratching outside before he came in. And I don't think we got to the point where we could figure out that Aguero had scored when Javatic was on the pitch.
2: No, but jo- Javatic has played so little football. Yeah. A lot of the time, when he, the few games he did come off the bench, a lot of the time, it was for Sergio Aguero. So Javatic missed the vast majority of the season. Aguero missed a good chunk of the season.
1: I don't think it's a stat that stands up. I mean, seven Premier League starts for yeah. Javatic last year, and he has pretty much played one in every t- 13 games, Aguero's missed yeah. so much. It's not like there's a ba- whole bank of information. No, it wasn't. Banking it was just to,
0: just to just to illustrate the fact that these two guys haven't obviously played much football together. How many but hours also, did you waste? Yeah, but you four,
1: said that, right. why not Jovetic and Jekko or Aguero and Dzeko? I, I because would have it's Dzeko probably going to be
0: Aguero. Well, Dzeko might be injured for this weekend, and Negredo's obviously on his way back from injury, so it's probably going to be the, the two of them. So that was the, the reasoning behind Will it.
2: Will he risk Aguero this weekend? At Stoke home to City. Stoke? they're in such good form at the moment We, uh, Gabriel Marcotti on the show Monday night and I asked him about this Is can Jovatic and Aguero play together and he, he said yeah Sergio Aguero is so good he could play with anyone you presume but he wouldn't be surprised if uh, if Pellegrini tries to change it and play maybe Aguero as a lone striker almost and then three players behind
0: because, because they can afford yeah.
1: including Jovatic
2: yeah that that might it may not it probably won't be a 4-4-2 formation yeah, but there's so many options like given yeah. the conversation
0: Regardless we've just had does. about Manchester United this, Manchester City are now this is the template for how it should be done now granted their pockets seem to be pretty uh, deep and they can just go and do whatever the hell they want to do but they've identified that in certain positions they need to get players and even from the strength of the squad they have last year they've gone and done that again and we look at a player like fernando for example who comes in there um, perhaps not even guaranteed of his position if all 11 players are fit and he offers Maybe he's not offering exactly something entirely new to Manchester City, but offering something maybe pr- pretty similar to what Fernandinho can offer them.
2: Yeah, if anything, he's probably a little bit more defensive than Fernandinho. I, I, I was really impressed with Fernandinho last year, the way he let Yaya Toure go forward all the time. But obviously, Fernandinho, and we saw it with Brazil, he, d- he didn't really play that position. He was allowed. He was more of an attacking player in the middle of midfield whereas Fernando just seems to be the guy a Nigel de Jong type who will just sit there for Mm. the entire 90 minutes Mm. unless the what six creative players of Manchester City attacking players City will have on the field just let them do the business and I'll I'll hang around here and I'll just
1: clean up the mess for you
0: Yeah they've beaten Liverpool and Newcastle pretty impressively Dave The uh,
1: more we watch them I think the less there is that we can say about them it looks very worrying already to mm. me Whatever about winning in the opening day of the season against Newcastle, and it was a workmanlike performance. Newcastle played quite well, stayed in the game for long periods. I was quite impressed with Newcastle on the day actually, but Manchester City just do what they do in the go places and they get the job done. Monday worried me far more because they were comfortably better than Liverpool on Monday night, and nobody expected that, and this was a Liverpool team that are as good as they're going to get. This was pretty much Liverpool's best 11. Who were they missing that you would expect to come back in and have a massive impact on their season? No,
2: they might. Well, Adam Lalan is going to come in. Balotelli might come in, but I guess from Liverpool's point of view, it's a pretty new squad who haven't played a lot together. And Brendan Rogers doesn't know what their best eleven yet. Personnel-wise, I
1: think up. it was almost as good as they're going to get. They might play well better together in the weeks to come. But they're a Champions League contender. And they're oh yeah. just brushed aside. Well, for all that, right? And City. I think
0: like there's no disagreeing with that. Manchester City were the better team for all that. Liverpool could have drawn that game. They Lambert had a big opportunity to score later on. That a penalty appeal as well. So maybe you that read, points so, to. Well,
1: re- you would have to read a lot into the last 15
0: minutes. Yeah, but City kind of looked Liverpool, like they'd taken full off the decent pedal in little.
1: the
2: first half. I, w- why it's worrying, I think, is that Liverpool did okay in the first half, and City still spanked. Exactly, and still were three 0 down, and Aguero scores after 23 seconds. Looking at City and looking at Chelsea. These two sides could be ten points clear of everyone else by Christmas. Will
1: you hope there's two of them in it? Yeah. You really do. Because too many titles over the last ten years have been won by Manchester United where you pretty much knew at Christmas it was over. And it left an awful lot... To, the, to be desired when it came to the final four months of the season so if City are 10 points clear let's pray that Chelsea are up there with them But otherwise it won't be a great season to look forward to
0: Alright Dave doesn't want to talk about Man City so let's talk about Stoke no let's not um, <laughs> he, Mark Hughes though is talking about uh, have to have a little concerns for them talking about Stoke not quite hitting where they were last season and it's a worry maybe given the quality of some of the players that he's brought in Phil Bardsley Sidwell Victor Moses Butch and uh, Kirkic Where's from, the quality? Where's the uh, quality? From <laughs> for Stoke, that's that's that, that's all that's a pretty impressive they're list so, of players. They're for Stoke. all solid, but yeah, was a free is a more, they're all free uh, transfer. More player. Player. I think they were
1: the first day was really disappointed because when we our Premier League review on the podcast, it seems like about three weeks ago now, maybe it is. We were very uh, praiseworthy of the guys he'd brought in, and we thought we'd just, if anything, just provide a little more solidity to what they managed to do last season. The opening day defeat against Villa was a disaster. I don't know how that happened. And they Sidwell just, didn't play the first day. And they've day. struggled he since in, that, in the next the game. Last day. They'll be OK. They'll be OK. Yeah.
0: Stoke have won three away league games last season. And only Cardiff and Norwich, who are both relegated a fewer. Something's gone wrong with the old secure at this stage, which is not really what you want to happen in the middle of a programme. Yep, so that uh, means that we've got to move on Thank you Gary for that uh, Newcastle United and Crystal Palace Is our next port call game That I'll be keeping an eye on over the course of Saturday uh, Neil Warnock has arrived at Crystal Palace For his second stint He left in 2010 after nearly uh, three years The club was in administration at that point His Premier League record, however, is not amazing He's 14 wins from 58 Premier League games Not always with the most fantastic uh, bunch of players, obviously but from a purely uh, quote point of view, I'm looking forward to having Neil Warnock back. Really? <laughs> yeah. I think he's,
2: he's one of the most dislikable characters in football. Really? He will not last till the end of the season. I cannot understand how you come up with Neil Warnock as the answer. Well,
0: Safe a pair of hands. Pragmatic. He's not He's, not a a pair of hands. he's described, an
1: idiot. The pragmatic appointment. Yeah. If this point was made a year from <laughs> he's now, <an> idiot. <laughs> they were to make this appointment in August 2015, and Palace had lost their first two games in the Championship, I would be thinking, that's a pretty good appointment, because he's an expert at getting teams out of the Championship into the Premier League. Now, I don't see how they can possibly stay up having appointed him. A man whose record, as Adrian has described to the Premier League, is absolutely appalling. They'll be going down, and you can pretty much put your gaff in it now at this stage. Although, we did say that about Tony Pulis when he arrived. That
0: they're definitely I, going. You see, down. I don't think they will go down. Like they've got a pretty decent uh, group of players there. Wilfred Az coming back from. Do you want me to Manchester, name the Crystal United. Palace
2: starting eleven? They brought in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they brought in um, Brett Hangeland, Martin Kelly, Fraser Campbell. Surely that's that, there's enough within Crystal Palace. Well, for uh, for a relegation, we're, like in the context of what we're talking about here, we're not talking about Champions League. We're just talking about trying to survive. And if I Fraser think
1: Campbell f- scores six Premier League goals this season. He'll be their top be scorer. Astonished. Breda Hangeland, is oh, thirty-four good, now, thirty-five. Yeah, look, look, yeah, he's
2: a good sign. He's good, a good free good signing, transfer. Bart
0: Kelly, decent signing for for a team. Look, like in the context here, lads, Let's not, you know, they're not looking for Europe. They're not looking to play Champions League. No, they're football. looking for they're just looking
1: to But I'd, if Tony Pulis was in charge and these guys have been brought in, I'd, I would echo everything you just said. Mm.
0: Not now, though. They finished eleventh last season.
1: Yeah, because they went on this
2: remarkable run over the well, under Tony Pulis. And somehow he managed to get the best out of these players, playing a Tony Pulis brand of football. Like Neil Warnock, it's it's
0: puke football. It's oh uh, Pat Balan style. I they're going. Watched, they're I going to
1: Play against Arsenal on the opening day of the season, and Marwan Shamak is a, just a horrendously poor football. Was it eleven eleven fouls he made before he got booked <sighs> yeah. after about an hour? And I have to, to back him up. I do have to say that he was he's been pl- played completely out of position. Like he yeah. was brought to the Emirates Stadium as a much-coveted international striker who'd done very good things in league with Bordeaux, and he was a centre-forward. He's been playing central midfield for Crystal Palace. And that's why he's finding himself in positions that he's not used to. He's committing so many fouls, giving the ball away, trying to link the play. That's not his game either. And he did work extremely hard. But in that position, he's woefully out of his depth. And if that's what Neil Warnock is going to continue to do, and if he's no other options only to play Maro and Shamak that deep, Having a chance.
0: He was the guy with a 100% conversion rate uh, last season for large parts of it, wasn't it? Because he had like two shots and two <laughs> goals.
2: Here, here's a prediction Alan Pardew to be in charge of Crystal Palace by the end of this season.
0: I would, if I were you I'd get money on that (laughs) straight away Um, very good odds it should be interesting if Jason Puncher manages to get a penalty at any point he missed one for QPR last night after which uh, Neil Warnock told he missed one for
2: QPR last night last season season, sorry last season there's
0: no way uh, there's no way I would have trusted him with a penalty you've got to have somebody a little bit more cool and he's not like that Jason so it should be interesting. Yeah, uh, working dynamic. Warnock. When, when
1: this was last, season? he was yeah. playing with Crystal Palace last season, wasn't he? In Southampton before that.
0: Oh, was it ag- maybe against QPR? Look, but my research isn't one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Was, this the, was this the the penalty? Was this the penalty that he skyed? Yeah, yeah, that was that a, against Spurs at White Hart Lane. Yeah.
1: So maybe Harry was just talking about it as a um, third
0: party. Um, Warnock, but what oh, did he P- say? He was talking. No, sorry, he was completely talking about it as a third party. And to be fair, what did yeah. say in
2: reply? Punchin laid into. One of his reply was essentially One of these Ah oh, well I wouldn't listen To what Neil Warnock
1: says
0: <laughs> Everyone knows What he's like I wouldn't listen to that man um, And after
1: he gave Missed that penalty He actually had a brilliant finish To the, to yeah. the season Jason Punchin. And he's one of Crystal Palace's best players Before you cut us off Newcastle United have taken One point from two games They've got a few bad injuries And I think they've had A very good start of the season And more credit Should be going to Alan Pardew Than he gets
2: Yeah Agreed then he <laughs> scored some goals though Oh yeah, that
0: this, a, this,
1: that's a big problem. They don't this, have a decent striker.
0: This one's a bit longer than I expected. Lads. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we still have time. <laughs> Go Newcastle. Oh I
0: mean, come on! What's going on? Yeah, Ian fair Oliver, question. Thanks for that. Speaking of uh, idiots, as Nathan uh, described so eloquently at the beginning of that piece, I'm Q- not going to
2: Crystal Palace
0: soon, am I? QPR against uh, <laughs> Sunderland. So presumably, at this point, QPR, who did so disastrously against Tottenham at the weekend, abandoned... This three-at-the-back business um, quotes this week. However, uh, from Harry Redknapp saying that he doesn't think that system. the system is the problem here. Um, players look slow on the ball, he said, off the pace, lacking energy, not sharp enough. And then you kind of wonder that if you're in, as a manager, the possession of the knowledge that your players are a little bit off the pace and playing three-at-the-back isn't going to work, then whether whether it's the system or whether it's the players, then just play four.
2: Yeah, well, is he having a go at his coaches there? Or like who's he having who's he having a dig at because he's, he's, it's somebody I don't fault. know if he's
0: having a dig I think he's trying to defend the system. Badly. I, they,
2: they just have a lack of quality. That system well I, that those players worked fine in the championship and they struggled to get promoted last season. It they remind me a lot of two seasons ago, a complete lack of fight in the team, not the sort of characters you want for a relegation battle and they probably have less quality than they had 2 years ago particularly if Remy leaves, if if Remy leaves and Redknapp stays in the job, it's hard to see QPR staying up. There's Barton. Forlan's got injured again. He's mm. third. Cruciate, cruciate I think, in yeah. three seasons. I've always been really impressed with him. Any time I've seen him, unless Barton can inspire these players around him. But
0: well, like, like ultimately they have a, de- a decent defence, but just not playing three because Rio Ferdinand, Richard Dunne who was brought off at halftime for Nedumonu at the weekend. They just don't have the pace to cope with it. I mean, you know, surely the they have enough experience defense, there. Surely they have how enough experience there. How decent defence can it be? Colker, Rich, uh, Richard Don, Rio Ferdinand... Okay. The
1: middle two of those. Uh, Dunn and Ferdinand, at least three years past their selby. Yeah, but age.
0: surely you can cobble together... Surely there's enough experience in the Premier there League. to keep them in the... Pre- Again, we're just talking about staying in the Premier League. But Rio surely Ferdinand there's enough experience there.
1: Uh, like, he's finished. It doesn't matter how much experience you have if the legs are gone. Mm. I mean, you could be 45 and have... 30 years of experience. But who's uh, playing uh, at uh, play right
2: back? Danny Simpson, left back, uh, uh, Armin Triore. Sim-
1: Simpson is an excellent player. And he was, well, during his time at Newcastle, a really good footballer. Triore has not come on. The Arsenal let him go for a reason. Um, he had a good season in the Championship last season. But I wouldn't want to be keeping him at left back in order to keep us in the Premier League. I wouldn't agree that they have a decent defence. I wouldn't put any of those four players in a Premier League defence.
0: Yeah, Nathan, you mentioned briefly Gus Poyet saying at the weekend that they're not going to need a miracle.
2: Yeah, that was basically the tone of his uh, pre-match notes in the match against Manchester United. From what I saw from them last week, I don't think they will need a miracle. They've got enough throughout their side, some of them to say I wouldn't take any notes of that, man. Really?
0: No. I concur. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Swansea against West Brom is an next port of call Noel Escott Samaras or the the other uh, new boy there the other guy <laughs> the other chap Varela they're all either unfit or injured uh, Varela this 29 year old winger who uh, wanted out we're told at Porto because um, uh, he just wanted out and they marginalised him. apparently left him so he's not fit um, I watched some of that West Brom Southampton game last weekend it was pretty brutal stuff Nil nil in the end but uh, West Brom at one point in the game a, actually it was early enough and each of went off injured brought in uh, Brown a day and he was great he was really good uh, debut game for him uh, really lively and offered a huge amount more energy than anything that was on the pitch before him
2: did he play with uh, Berino? Berrino? yeah
0: yeah yeah um, it was, yeah, Nietzsche that went out, uh, limped out of it. And he was, he was really great, I have to say. And maybe it was just a case that maybe he wasn't being benched because he's not good enough. Maybe it was just a case of introducement, but he was impressive.
1: Yeah, I think it was just a case they didn't quite trust him to be fully fit for the first game against uh, Sunderland, was their opening fixture, wasn't it? The yeah, 2 all. 2 2 2 And Barahino looks like he started the season brilliant, a real live wire. They've got a lot, invested a lot in this new striker, and I you would hope from their point of view that he'll contribute a huge amount some of the older heads in the team like Chris Brunt for example he's had a good start of the season because he wasn't always getting his game particularly in the last 10 games of last season and for all the talk we had of
0: uh, Irvine
1: and starting with no Premier League experience yeah.
0: he's so been in two that's what we said
1: Do you know like he's more points in the board than Louis van Gaal has for example what about um, Gary Monk
0: though Swansea two wins out of two their fans were singing so last week when they're a a
1: that they're going to win the league well, you know, they're in pretty good shape at the moment. I like Swansea. I'd like to see Gary Mook. I love his post-match interviews. Really honest, he's, he's like one of the lads. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously it didn't exactly win. All right, let's get our <laughs> final predictions. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're getting uh, the hang of it now <laughs> West Ham um, against Southampton is our next uh, port of call and it's all about Tadic Watch uh, he's been pretty good uh, pretty good again against uh, West Brom at the weekend and a guy who just seems to have everything he came close from a Shane Long pass at one point a few other uh, opportunities as well he can pick out a good pass uh, that, remember that pass a little flick for Klein was it in the opening yep. weekend against Liverpool um, and he's got a guy who's going to win a few frees around the area as well pretty exciting watch Southampton some respects picking up a little bit from where they were last uh, last year.
2: Yeah, uh, because they've bought very well. They've lost so many players. But I don't think we'll know about Southampton until this transfer window's finished. If they bring in Andros Townsend, that changes things. Shane Long was on the bench again last weekend. Where exactly is he going to play? It, we're only going to learn over the next month or so. But I said it after watching them at Anfield. I think they're going to finish in the top 10 this season. They've Some of the players they brought in are an improvement on last season. They had a really solid defence. Uh, they kept a lot of clean sheets Fraser Foster's come in in gold. And if they Presumably Font is going to stay And they have a centre back to come in Florian Gardas Who'd have paid 7.5 million quid From Stoia Bucharest He comes in alongside Font Replaces Lovren Today's, there's a lot of poor teams I Southampton are not one of them at I think they'll be Forest. a good game That's That's Sam were
1: brilliant involved. last weekend in their victory over Palace second goal was a brilliant team goal and Sam Alardicci got a little bit of credit for a change
0: yeah big Alardicci on the money there the late game on Saturday uh, Everton against Chelsea and an Everton team lads who've conceded four goals in the first two games which is uh, roughly double the average rate at which they were conceding last season now it is early doors so perhaps uh, not any great conclusions to be drawn from that uh, just yet but again Defensively, their opening game against Leicester, they went Stones, Distan, Jagielka, and Baines, and then simply swapping Coleman in um, for last weekend. You don't, I don't expect them to concede two goals every weekend. i am kind of been a little bit surprised about that. Uh,
2: with Jagielka and Distan there, they might concede quite a few goals because we're talking about two guys in their 30s. Distan must be 35 at this stage. He's
0: not short of pace, though.
1: No, but. Like he's one of the quickest 30 somethings there's ever been in the Premier League.
2: I thought the most noticeable thing against Arsenal was in the last 15 minutes the last 20 minutes is exactly. they were out on their feet
1: at, at Filbert Street as well they, so, were, uh, they were really short <laughs> at the King Power is, Stadium is there
2: something in their strength and conditioning yeah, over the course is. of the summer mm. that Roberto Martinez is setting them up that they will Maybe they're still training incredibly hard at the moment, so it will stand to them over the closing. Weeks and that's of the why they're season.
0: fading late in the games. Perhaps. Because I mean, that was such a big opportunity they're, against Arsenal. They were two 0 yeah. up, and they looked pretty comfortable. Like, I mean, Arsenal look in my, the, the lead in. Was at the first or the second goal? They actually looked to have given up on it until Ramsey, I think, took control of the ball and went at the defence. they yeah, but, certainly but didn't see the comeback coming. No, it
1: wasn't like the second goal, for example, or the, even the Ramsey goal was as a result of fifteen minutes of incessant pressure. Everton should be on six points, and they're on two. Mm. I'm going to ask this now, and you can laugh it out. Has there a chance, any chance of finishing the top four, already gone by courtesy of those two equalising goals against Leicester and Arsenal? Yeah, and two games in. It's a huge question, yeah. potentially stupid question. It, it and is, those four points that they've dropped, is it gone?
2: Quite possibly, and it goes back to something Brendan Rodgers said last season about when Liverpool lost to Southampton. That you don't get these games back. That when you're adding up the points at the end of the season. These are the games that you look back and say, well, if we had those four points, it makes all the difference. And already, and I was thinking this with Liverpool as well in title challenge, that if they don't beat Spurs and if they draw and they're five points behind Mm. after three games there's no, not a chance in hell that they can five come back. Five points
1: behind two different teams. Yeah. Um, you have to, at the same time, say, well, look, there could be games later in the season where Everton are 2-1 down with 10 minutes left and they win 3-2. So maybe that's three points going the opposite direction. But it is, I think, a pertinent question to say, given a team that is potentially qualified for the Champions League right on the number, it's not like they're going to finish third, five or six points clear. These they, four they'll points they'll be
2: hellers. They'll finish on 75 or 76 yeah. points and yeah. it'll yeah. be in or around that for the final Champions League place. What's most interesting this season, that's something we've never had before, and it's something we won't know until we get to March, is what Everton and Tottenham do with regards to the Europa League. Mm. If Everton are sixth, and the draw's been made, they both have winnable groups, and they're in the last 16 of the Europa League, do you suddenly start putting out your best well, 11? Didn't we, we discussed yeah. this last week, didn't like, we? And this is something that we just cannot predict at the moment.
1: Yeah. Well, there's going to be a tipping point at which stage the likes of Tottenham and Everton need to abandon the Premier League. And I don't know what stage of season is it—the last thirty-two, is it the last sixteen? Obviously, if you're in third position and riding high in the league table, well, then you put throw all your eggs into the league basket and you abandon the Europa League and try and muddle your way through to the last eight or the last four with maybe five or six changes in each tie that you play. But that'll be something, and I agree completely. That will—it'll be so interesting to keep an eye on the mindset of. Uh, Potchino and Martinez when they get out of the group stages and when they look at the Premier League table and see exactly where they are, I'm sure they'll be looking at their fixture list as well. Well, what have we got left? Where do we have to travel to? Who has to come to, go to some Park and White Hart Lane? Because they're capable of winning the Europa League. Yeah, and that gets them Champions League football. Yeah, only so that it's, it's more it's fascinating. It, I
0: think isn't it more valuable for them to secure? I mean, if they're going for fourth, presumably you got to keep. You got to keep that. I mean, look, it's.
2: It's what, a million and, if, and a half per and position? And okay, I wouldn't
1: point, worry about the money. No. Because the big picture is far more important. If you are. But the big sixth picture of place, trying to
0: secure. So, so okay, fair enough. You're we talking about Champions League football. So, obviously, it depends on where exactly we're talking about here. We're yeah. talking about going for fifth or sixth is obviously one thing. But perhaps going for fourth. Oh, no. You're if you're going day. for
1: fourth, you see, they, it, you know, the, it, who are we to say exactly what way it'll go? But. The, Nathan mentioned 6 for example so say we get to February and Everton where would they be would they be in the last 32 at that stage yeah, they'd be preparing for the last 32 them. tie so still an awful lot of work to do to win the Europa League but they're 8, nine, ten points off mm. fourth place there's no way they're going to overhaul a gap of 8 or 9 points on someone like Liverpool for example going into the last say, 12 yeah. games of the season
0: well if it's, if it's that clear cut I mean I suppose the only question is if that's a, a much smaller gap you know well then like that, still a possibility you, they, they can yeah, you wonder yeah, yeah. what the
1: tipping point will be then also it might depend on where they are in the cup competitions if you've almost guaranteed yourself a place in the Europa League for the following season and they're for another crack at Champions League football by virtue of getting to a League <laughs> Cup final you might be preparing for that in February you throw that into the mix for both teams as well if they're still in the FA Cup you throw that into the mix but I just think that what UEFA have done with the Europa League suddenly transforms the competition once you get out of these group stages
0: Everton uh, that's uh, beat Chelsea 1-0 in this game last season and uh, Chelsea have been pretty attack minded up to this so it'll be interesting to see against a team of a little bit more quality if they're going to sort of tweak that up a bit and of course Uh,
1: if they lose to Chelsea that's 2 from 9 yeah. which sort of adds even more fuel to what we've just been and, discussing. And also,
0: you know, like in terms of looking back at it at the end of the season, like maybe Leicester are the Crystal Palace of last season and they end up finishing 11th and maybe they're not the worst two points is ever in been take, because they they'll take, take points point off other teams. teams. Yeah, yeah, and maybe Arsenal will end up finishing third and all of a sudden it's, it reflects a little bit better on, on how how they're doing at the minute. And uh, Roberto Martínez as well talking about Lukaku this week. He's <laughs> worth more than the 28 million that <laughs> they paid for him. No, he's <laughs> not. I thought that was hilarious.
2: <laughs> no, he's not. Samuel Eto'o an interesting million, signing he said The two strikers tomorrow Could be Samuel Eto'o And Didier Drogba <laughs> Yes
1: <laughs> I so. think the Eto'o signing Is excellent That is It reminds me of the Michael Owen signing At Manchester United Absolutely nothing to lose If he doesn't turn out And he doesn't score a goal And he ne- stinks the joint out Well so what You haven't had have to pay Anything for him If he gets the winner In the derby Like Owen did Straight away What a signing
2: Yeah uh, Obviously Diego Costa's injured Didier Drogba replacing him Could be a problem for Chelsea
0: yeah, Everton against Chelsea and yeah, look at me when I took to you Crystal yeah. Mays brilliant 5.30 on Saturday evening and then on to Sunday it's Aston Villa up against uh, Hull City there's <laughs> not a lot of time for this one do we Any, anybody for anything on this uh,
2: nil nil <laughs> actually Villa are part of my treble. <laughs> really I've lost my
1: mind <laughs> Villa four points from six I did not see that one coming Hull blessed to be
0: out of the Europa League yeah, uh, Phil, have made a pretty incredible start beating stalks. It was just banter. I said, I know. And drawing with Newcastle as well. Then Tottenham Liverpool is the uh, first of our live games. And Sunday, Nathan, will be there at uh, White Hart Lane alongside Kenny Cunningham. And... Um, Liverpool, a team, obviously, who thumped Spurs 5-0 at White Hart Lane back in December. It was the end of the AVB reign at that point. And it was an interesting comment that I was looking at from Brendan Rodgers on Tottenham, uh, who had lost Gareth Bale, obviously, at that point. And he says, after that 5-0 win, it shows uh, shows you that when you have someone with that X-factor, sometimes eight, nine or ten players can't replace that. That's why we fought like Tigers to keep Luis Suarez uh, here, because he's a top player. He is a performer. And then all of a sudden... Liverpool are in the exact same position. They've bought roughly similar sort of amount uh, of players to get in to replace Luis Suarez. And it looks as though one of them is going to make his debut this weekend.
2: Yeah, Mario Balotelli. It's all going to be about Balotelli. I think there is a slight difference in that Liverpool have better players left who were already there than Spurs had. Mm. It was pretty much a one-man team with Gareth Bale, um, which is why Spurs struggled. But there are similarities in that Liverpool's defence, like Spurs' defence last year, just looks to be all over the shop still the way they were taken apart now Moreno's error for the first one it's just a mistake it's his debut he makes a mistake Mm. but the way for the second goal and the third goal where Jordan Henderson didn't stick with Iovatic's run and that as I think I've said this in both podcasts so far is Liverpool's biggest problem not having somebody in midfield stopper
1: well look beyond the Manchester City performance because they're probably going to win the league that they could win the Champions League. Southampton cut them open at least three times, lashed one off the bar, could very much on another day have won that game. That was the defensive performance added to what we saw at the Etihad Stadium that would really worry me from a Liverpool point of view. And it's difficult to see that defensive situation improving because they aren't bringing in the personnel.
0: So how's that going to cope this weekend with uh, Pochettino's Tottenham who, like he seems to have very much brought that Southampton philosophy with him uh, to Tottenham. They like to obviously play the game in the opposition's half, pressing uh, high in possession and defending pretty high as well. Presumably that puts an extra pressure on well Stephen Dreyer whoever it is that's uh, in that role
2: yeah you, you, it depends who Spurs play in the middle of midfield I'd imagine they're going to try and crowd it in there and uh, a will play up front funnily enough Lovren the one game I really saw him struggling last year was the game against Spurs where Soldado destroyed him for the full 90 minutes. He just The, the, the only defender
1: him. in last season's Premier League yeah. destroyed by Roberto Saldana. So that's got to be <laughs> got
2: be a worry as well. I'm, I'm struggling to see how this game is going to go. It may mm. say a lot about Liverpool's season. If they concede two goals again. Last season the attitude was, yeah we'll concede two, we'll score three. The attitude still seems to be we'll concede two. But they're not going to score three. They scored three goals 21 times last season. They're not going to score three goals 21 it's a times. It's huge game,
1: this isn't it? I mean, you're at this game first and off the ball and, and you're l- lucky to be there with Kenny because the enormity of the game, if you think that, bearing in mind that they'll have had to play Manchester City and Tottenham, two Champions League rivals in their first three games, that's tough. But if they lose to, on Sunday, suddenly they're six points behind Tottenham. Yeah. And they'll have made a start of dreams. Mm. Ground out in a way win on the first w- weekend where they probably didn't deserve to win. Really impressive at home against Queen's Park Rangers, albeit they're relegation contenders. And suddenly you've got a six-point gap to one of your Premier League, uh, Champions League, contenders one of your one of your rivals and the confidence starts to course then you've got three wins for three you've got someone like Eric Dyer who's got two goals from full back how he's managed that he may never score a goal in the Premier League ever again and suddenly they actually look like they really mean business some of the players from last year didn't do well like Chadley for example where has he come from brilliant goal last weekend I heard your commentary on, on off the ball and you described it perfectly when I saw it match of the two that night it was a kind of goal that I would not have associated with Nasser Chadley a season ago because they got nothing out of it you heard my commentary
0: Mark's it
1: was yeah. Mark's commentary wasn't it? I heard the off the ball <laughs> commentary I knew was good so I a,
0: didn't quite tally with which being which is always <laughs> great
1: but he's getting you, was, I don't know if it was yourself or Adrian that said when we were doing a pre- preview three weeks ago Pochettino's job is that in the absence of spending a huge amount of money on new additions is to get the best out of the players that Villas Boas and Sherwood couldn't get the best out of well he's already started that with someone like Nasser Chadley, for example
2: Yeah my concern with Liverpool at the start of the season was the midfield and how they'd been figured out by Chelsea at the end of last season so teams now know how to play against them they're not going to concede as many goals they're not going to let Sterling in behind or Markovic when he plays or Daniel Sturridge so what do Liverpool have now? Coutinho seems to get forced out of the game particularly against the better teams quite easily
0: And Stur, doesn't that same point really apply to Sturridge he's become much more of a t- detached player than he was over the last little while I read that he had fewer touches look maybe maybe this maybe this stat is is not representative of the point I'm trying to get across but fewer touches in the Southampton game and possessions than Mignolet
2: Yeah that's not surprising now he has scored a goal and he set up a goal in Liverpool's two matches so far but that's why perhaps Balotelli is what they need that watching him in the Southampton game, he was left, he was right, he was he was never where...
1: They need a focal point.
2: They just need someone to stand there yeah. in that number nine position so that the ball stays up top, and perhaps Balotelli gives them that. But all the momentum could be sucked out of Liverpool. Everything good that they did at the end of last season with the 11 wins in a row... That is all forgotten about If they lose on Sunday
1: Or they could pull out A performance of Swagger and Verve And Vigor That they did last season And maybe we'll say Oh it only took them Three weeks to kick on And to kind of uh, Reach their peak Or reach their straps After the, the summer hiatus And on next week's pod Will be going. Will Liverpool are back?
2: Yeah Quite possibly I'm going to get my Mario Balotelli stat in Go for mm-hmm. 25 minutes against Spurs In his entire career Came off, got booked two minutes later. Two minutes after, Daddy stamps on Scott Parker. Then he gets taken down for penalty in the 95th minute. Steps up, scores the winner in a 3-2 win. Two days later, he's banned for four matches. (laughs) 25 minutes in his entire career he's played against Spurs.
1: The game is over. My wife doesn't know the result.
0: Yeah. uh,
2: That'll be be repeated on Sunday
0: afternoon. (laughs) Ad nauseum. Uh, The other game that we're going to be doing on Sunday is Leicester City against Arsenal from Filbert Street. Uh, (laughs) we're going to keep saying that lest
1: our (laughs) listeners are confused that we aren't aware that Filbert Street is now known as the King Power Stadium we (laughs) are aware of the fact that there is absolutely no link between Filbert Street and King Power Stadium that Filbert Street no longer exists that it was the former Walker Stadium Is it a housing estate? Filbert
2: or Street, like, what like the apartments at a it, yeah. People were queuing up to say yeah. that I now live in Filbert
0: Street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Leicester City against Arsenal, King Power Stadium. Keith Andrews will be there alongside Mark Scott, and Leicester have signed Esteban Cambiasso, <laughs> um, which is pretty bloody phenomenal <laughs> what stuff. <the>
1: legend. <laughs> if this was ten years ago. Yeah, this might be something to talk about. Ten if this was ten years ago, people, we bring you down to the local hospital just to get him checked out, make <laughs> sure he hadn't made some sort of completely yeah. confused mistake.
0: A Champions League winner, ten years at Inter Milan, thirty-four years of age, over fifty appearances for Argentina. Uh, he played like he's not a guy that's been fading out over the last while he played 32 games in Serie A last uh, season Yeah
1: he's, he, he's in the same vein as Javier Zanetti only what four or five years younger I am I recall Sam Allardyce in his Bolton days and he brought the likes of Jorkeff Jork and Hierro mm. and Dacotcha into the team and maybe Cambiasa
0: can be that kind of a player for them um, I had to I'd completely forgotten about uh, the brevity of the amount of time that Roberto <laughs> Mancini had spent there when he was there previously <laughs> oh, <yeah>. in <laughs> 2001 he played uh, five games, never managed a full match. Uh, he joined in February two thousand and one, uh, and January 2001 and rang them in February and said, I'm uh, out of here. Uh, job's, come <laughs> up, job's come up. Uh, sorry lads, I've got to go. But uh, it does say that his time at Velbert Street, which it actually was at that point, um, was the thing that g- gave him his love for English football. And why he went to Manchester City, he became a bit of a uh, hunted out of town type of guy
1: you have to say they've been hugely impressive I mean the manner in which Mm. they took that point against Everton um, they had Chelsea really where they wanted them for long periods of that game and only for Thibaut Courtois they could have won that match because particularly the save from David Nugent who I really don't know how he's still being paid to play football in the Premier League that was a world class stop that that was a nil all am I right that would have put Leicester City a goal up with half an hour left so they're going to make life Very awkward for Arsenal This weekend
2: Yeah and I don't If they employ the same tactics As they did against Chelsea Because they kicked Chelsea Around the pitch For the first hour of that game And Chelsea As we expected With the players they've signed Were able to take it mm. Matic and Fabregas and Costa Were Arsenal able may not to take be. it Arsenal may not be You've got to be impressed By Arsenal though we're not even out of August yet, and they've had more drama than most clubs will manage for the entire season.
1: Well, they haven't been beaten in four games. They've got into the Champions League group stages, and they've come back to get a point at Goodison Park, and are still almost in crisis. Exactly.
2: I wouldn't take any notes of that man. Really? No. That's I, I seem to right get him.
0: that one on a regular basis yeah now. that's just uh, that's your own personal one Nathan uh, Leicester against Arsenal will be live on off the ball Sunday 4 o'clock so all that's left to do lads is to do a roundup of our trebles um, I don't know if anybody's gotten as far as to actually um, take some odds on any of these trebles I, yeah, I, I have I have um, alright well sure look at Nathan seeing as you've done your job go and <laughs> tell us what you've got well I'm
2: going for one safe one Manchester City to beat Stoke uh, Sunderland to win away at Queen's Park Rangers And also Aston Villa to beat Hull.
0: What are you getting on all
2: that? 8-1.
0: Yeah, there seems to be a lot of fair, strong sort of possibilities that might not come off. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> one why
1: it's 8-1, presumably. <laughs> Dave, I think mine, mine will be between 7 and 8 as well. It's got Man City at home to Stoke City. They're going to be the accumulator buster if, if they don't come up trumps this weekend. Exactly. It. Newcastle United to be Crystal Palace at home. I think Newcastle will get their first win. And the draw specialist, West Bromwich Albion, will do it again and go to Swansea and take a point.
0: Ah, interesting Gerrard has gone also for Manchester City to beat Stoke he's um, gone for an Everton Chelsea draw and I can certainly see the merits of that uh, and he's gone for Newcastle as well to beat Crystal Palace uh, my travel will be Manchester United to win at Burnley get that at uh, win under LVG's belt um, I'm going for City as well and I'm going to go for Arsenal to win at Leicester City I um, can't see any reason why that wouldn't happen uh, perhaps mm. not we shall see uh, next week's podcast lads it's been a pleasure enjoy your weekends whatever you're up to Nathan you're off high telling out across the water
2: yeah can't wait uh, again we've got that prime position right be sitting right behind Mario well sitting behind the Spurs Doug but sitting mm. just beside Mario Balotelli he'll probably start on the bench and one way or another you would imagine Balotelli will be the story
0: yeah looking forward to it cheers lads cheers, cheers Adrian